You're listening to the RUF at UT podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. Tonight we have a we have a special a special guest speaker. <laughs> I don't know why my hands do that sometimes. Tonight we have a special guest speaker, and uh, she needs no introduction. Uh, this is our beloved Ellie Steakhouse, aka um, eSteaks.com backslash Bogo. This is um, this is her last RUF large group with us. This is not goodbye though. Sunday is goodbye. We're going to gather together. We're going to gather together at, um, at the Williams' house in Sequoia Hills for our final Sunday night fellowship. It's our end of the year party. We're going to have a big cookout. All of y'all are invited. I hope you come. That will be the night that we get to hug and kiss and cry and, and um, we're just going to have a line of people lining up to kiss. And um, <laughs> So we'll say goodbye to Ellie then. But I did, I did want Ellie to have the opportunity to have the floor and to just share with us whatever was on her heart, whatever she wanted to share with us in her final large group. So without further ado, Ellie Stackhouse. Let's hear this. Yeah. Ooh, that, that seems like a good height, right? Alright. Is that how tall I am? Seems right. Is that steady? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're good. Boom. Um, okay. I um, am gonna try to just look at this third row of freshman boys who I know very little about. <laughs> so thank you for sitting close to the front. I think that will maybe help me the most. Um, so um, my mom cries all the time um, when people are kind to her at my school performances hymns at church um, when someone talks about what they're passionate about pretty much every movie she's ever seen um, her tears were such a regular occurrence in my childhood that my brother, my dad, and I could probably be accused of being neglectful. (laughs) When someone cries during the claymation movie um, about chickens trying to escape their fate as pies, a.k.a. chicken run, it's really hard to comfort them genuinely um, or take their tears seriously. So usually my response was to see my mom crying and honestly to just continue doing whatever I was doing. <laughs> All that to say, um, when my brother was in elementary school, they had a Mother's Day celebration, and he was pretty proud of himself and the card he had made. I honestly have no idea what it said, but he was convinced that he was going to make her cry. He built up the anticipation for days around the house, and I'm sure the card was sweet, but the expectation my brother had built had given my mom enough time to kind of steal herself. She did not cry, and I hope Robbie has emotionally recovered from the disappointment. Um, <laughs> And I'm hoping that that is the case for me tonight. Uh, Obviously, already too late, but (laughs) I have cried pretty much every day the last two weeks. Um, And I hope that today, with all the built-up expectation and anticipation, I can keep it together for just maybe 15 minutes to share with y'all. 
Um, but I did bring backup, so here goes nothing. Um, if you've never been to RUF before, welcome. This is kind of an awkward <laughs> first encounter. Um, it's never too late to join us, though. We're really glad you're here. Um, I'm sorry that you get me instead of Matt Howell. And um, fortunately, it's probably really too late for us to meet. <laughs> but <laughs> I'll go ahead and introduce myself anyway. <laughs> no, unfortunately. Unfortunately. <laughs> um, Ellie Stackhouse and I have had the privilege of serving this campus on RUF staff for four years. Um, in June, I'm moving back home to Fort Worth, Texas. Um, yeah. Go Frogs. Uh, to start a master's in counseling degree at TCU. And I'm incredibly excited for the opportunity um, but, and what is next, but leaving here also feels equally stupid. Um, I don't know. This is not going to go well. <laughs> um, tonight, as a means of saying thank you and goodbye, I thought I'd reflect on the story from the Gospel of Luke. Um, so I'll read it. It's printed in your bulletin behind my face a hundred times. So awkward. Um, and then we can get started. So um, Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he, he being Jesus, entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance, and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Sweet. So picture this, the year is 2011. The place is Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And I found myself lonely but too fearful to really do anything about it. The poster child for legalism the less frizzy equivalent of Mia Thermopolis, who looked at herself in the mirror and says, well, as usual, this is as good as it's going to (laughs) get. Arriving on the college campus, most likely wearing Texas flag shorts, a mission trip t-shirt, and wallabies. Woof. (laughs) So by the grace of God, it didn't take long for me to find RUF, and what quickly became the time and space that kept me afloat as a more vulnerable than a peach college freshman was freshman Bible study. It provided the community I craved, an endless talk of this thing called grace. Uh, Sorry, that blew up all the categories and preconceived notions that I had. Um, It changed who I thought God was, how he viewed me, and how he called me to view others. And I know it sounds dramatic, but um, in the dingy basement of a freshman dorm room, Um, not dorm room, just dorm in general. Um, (laughs) The dingy basement of a freshman dorm, the trajectory of my life beautifully and radically changed because of RUF. Um, If you'll indulge my nostalgic side for a minute, my three clearest memories from that time in freshman Bible study are thus. First, sitting down in a smaller group for discussion and prayer after our first lesson and meeting a girl named Katie who became one of my dearest friends in college. You know that very freshman feeling of meeting someone for the first time and knowing that you're going to be great friends, but not exactly being sure how to make it happen? That was really my whole life the first couple weeks of RUF. Um, My second memory requires a bit of backdrop. So Wake Forest freshman Bible study was co-ed, and 40% of our time together was taken up by icebreaker questions. Is anyone surprised? Um, One week, I'll never forget, the question was, what do you think the most attractive hairstyle on the opposite sex is? 
what? <laughs> so uncomfortable, but also the most arguable thing I've ever heard. Um, and of course, the boy I had a crush on was there, and he said um, that he was most attracted to girls inside ponytails. And I kid you not, I felt my arms move. I was not in control of my body at the moment, and I started pushing my ponytail to the side of my head. <laughs> I guess it kind of always naturally gravitates into the right side of my head, but I was definitely actively pushing it further in that direction. And I'm still praying to this day that no one else noticed. Um, but I don't really know that if that's more embarrassing for me or for him. I mean, a side ponytail? That's really weird, right? <laughs> anyway, I am digress. Um, my third clearest memory is the lesson from our last meeting of the year. Together, we looked at Luke 17, um, verses 11 through 19, the passage that I just read, and we used it as a lens for reflecting on the end of our year and doing so with gratitude and hope. Yes, since we had arrived on campus, the wobble had been released, ruining dance parties for the rest of time. But more importantly, we had survived freshman year, a space we had entered with nothing. We were now leaving with community, healing, and teaching, all which God had graciously provided. God had shown up, so we spent time thinking about what it meant to return to Jesus with thanks for the cleansing we had received, just like the Samaritan leper. It's a passage, story, and exercise that has stuck with me for eight years. I made it a tradition in girls' freshman community group here, and as I stand before you now for the last time, well, the last time in the space, it felt like the most appropriate lens to use as a way to say goodbye and commemorate the last four years of my life serving you and RUF at UTK. Did I cry when I typed the sentence at the new K-Brew sitting next to two very cute and very concerned old ladies? Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> Last week, a great time. Um, so let's begin. In an attempt to channel Matt as best as I can, I have three quick points. Um, the first is numbness, which is our illness. The second is need, where we find our cleansing. And the third is negratitude, our response. Obviously, for our purposes, I have to say gratitude, so that I can pretend I was able to achieve the ultimate RUF goal, point alliteration. <laughs> so here we are, numbness, need, and gratitude. <laughs> so first, numbness. With one word, we are given a world of context for the people Jesus encounters in the passage, lepers. Leprosy, as you may know, is a bacterial disease that now has no cultural implication, but in the world of the New Testament meant a life of incurable uncleanliness, leading to disconnection from community and also disconnection from God. Leviticus 13 and 14 are dedicated to describing with detail the symptoms of the disease and the cultural and ceremonial responses required to keep the illness from spreading. What it boils down to is deep and institutionalized isolation. Especially, um, I mean, sorry, unless you are a nursing major, I really don't recommend a casual, casual Google search of leprosy, especially in public. The cartoon sketches from my Sunday school days did not prepare me for the disfigurement, the swelling, the sores, and the redness that bombarded my screen. It's just really gross. Um, the symptom of leprosy, though, that I want to highlight today is what I think might be the most damaging part of the bacteria responsible for the disease. It often causes deep nerve damage, meaning it takes away your ability to feel and respond accordingly. So cuts and burns and bruises bring about no reaction, no change in behavior. All the bodily responses that ring like warning bells when you touch something hot or run into something sharp just aren't there. Numbness takes away your ability to accurately respond to reality, leading to more damage and deterioration. Like the knight in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, who has all his limbs cut off and then tries to keep fighting, declare, declaring that they are mere flesh wounds, 
Numbness keeps you from stopping when you should and recognizing what is true about yourself and your context. So not only are the lepers Jesus encounters isolated by cultural mandates, but they are also isolated by the nature of their sickness, numb to the pain and reality of life. Being plagued by numbness, gosh, that resonates deeply. All my nerves are obviously fine. I recently cut my finger on an aluminum top of a catering tray while trying to recycle it, and you would have thought the world had ended. I was very dramatic about it. You can ask Mariah, my roommate. So yes, I feel pain, but I am prone to be numb to the pains and realities of life in other ways. Like the War on Drugs song says, and yes, I realize that was the most Austin Lennox thing I could have ever said, (laughs) quoting some obscure band. But anyway, the War on Drugs has a song that says, um, I resist what I cannot change, and I cannot and I have not changed so much over the last four years. I couldn't change the boy that led you on or took advantage of you or made empty promises. Sorry, boys, but in my line of work, you're often the bad guy. (laughs) I couldn't change... (laughs) I couldn't change the mom whose voice of critique and fear is so much louder in your head than anything else. I couldn't change the dad who's done nothing but disappoint you, the friend who abandoned or betrayed you in a time of need, the feeling of not having a place on campus or a friend group that fits. I couldn't change your passive-aggressive roommates who sends pictures of dirty dishes. I couldn't change the death of a loved one. I couldn't change the unexpected diagnosis, the guilt and the shame that you carry after making a mistake. The indecision and fear that comes with future decisions, whether as small as who to ask to formal or as big as what to do with the rest of my life. I couldn't change your grades or your belittling professor that made you feel lesser than, and I couldn't change the mental health that often fogs reality. And in the midst of those things, um, my default is to resist what I cannot change, to let my heart be leprous, numb, unable and unwilling to feel pain, um, Sorry again. Thinking that I am protecting myself, but really just disconnecting from what is true about your experiences. Um, We disconnect and we numb with substances, relationships, humor, disinterest, ignorance, sarcasm, entertainment, rationalizing, and lies. Um, And in the last four years, here's what has provided the most disconnect for me. Well, obviously Netflix. (laughs) I have watched it so much and at an embarrassing pace. Um, I've read pretty much every comedian's memoir that has come out. Um, Obviously, Tina Fey's Bossy Pants I had to read twice. I've listened to a podcast about each of the presidents, an hour dedicated to all, what, 47 presidents? That was so much time of my life. (laughs) I sat alone in the movie theater. Honestly, I'm pretty proud of my almost 200,000 lifetime regal points. Um, And yes, sometimes this was for the joy of storytelling, cultural engagement, or a healthy distraction. But oftentimes, it was just to turn off my brain, desperate to take a break from that, which is hard to hear. I have also rationalized like a crazy woman. I've rationalized other people's behavior instead of asking more questions or instead of admitting that they had the power to hurt me. And I've rationalized my less than adequate response to hard things instead of apologizing or being willing to admit admit that I made a mistake. Like the friends in the biblical story of Job who insist... Um, who instead of just remaining with Job when his family, his health, and his property are all taken away, they assert themselves in ways that deny Job's experience. I have done the same. I have rambled on trying to make sense of hard situations that I don't have categories for, all for my own sake, trying to rationalize and disconnect. This is the temptation of my numb heart. And where we find point number two, our need, and the opportunity it gives us to encounter Christ. So the nature of this job, sitting down with, on average, three of you a day, 
asking how I can be praying for you, hearing the good, the bad, and the ugly of college has not let me remain in my numbness. There is just too much there, and much like the lepers, I have cried out for mercy, and God has been gracious to respond. If you look at verse 13, the lepers see Jesus from far, um, from afar and simply cry out for mercy. In their isolation, they know they have nothing to offer. They can't even get close to Jesus, but they know that they need to be healed. How drastically and beautifully the life of the lepers were to change upon being cleansed. Reconnected to a culture, a community, and themselves. But when you think about it, to be cured and to be cleansed from leprosy also means to feel again. Paper cuts sting, bruises ache, reality bites. There is a new level of connection to pain that comes from being healed. So Jesus' kindness to me in this job has been to force me to feel this pain. Um, Force me to enter into the experiences of others. Um, Sorry. So that my heart is not marked by numbness, but marked by trust. Over the last four years, I have let myself feel and admit to being bruised and broken by the fall. And in doing so, God's kindness, faithfulness, and mercy has felt all the more beautiful and real. If you were with us last spring when we um, did a series on sanctification, freshman, I guess you could listen to the podcast to catch up. Um, if you remember Matt, he loves to draw, and he drew for us in large group um, a chart, what we like to call in RUF the cross chart. So I'll try as best as I can to do it with my hands, but it had two arrows, one diagonally going upward and then one diagonally going down. Upwards representing our growing knowledge of God's holiness, and then downward arrow, our growing knowledge of our own sin. When we let ourselves be bruised and broken by the fall, the cross becomes the bridge between the two arrows. So the deeper our knowledge of our sin, the holier, um, and the holier our view of God. um, Sorry, I'm totally ruining this illustration. I'm getting distracted with my arms. (laughs) That um, the cross bridges the gap between those two. Um, As I let myself feel the hurt um, in myself and those around me, the promises of God's coming kingdom grow and appeal, and my need for Jesus grows as I hope to take part in God's mission of renewal. I become small, and the cross becomes big. One of my favorite sanctification illustrations is the video of the man falling up the escalator. Has anyone seen this? You really need to look it up on YouTube later. It's hilarious. Um, but it's also kind of sad. This man is flailing. He looks ridiculous. He has probably never felt more weak, but he is moving upwards still. Through this ministry, Jesus has taught me how to celebrate and taught me how to grieve. He's taught me that sometimes you even feel both emotions at the same time, a.k.a. right now, and there's beauty in the messiness of that. It's okay to be falling up the escalator. He has taught me that my job was never to fix you, um, but it was to be with you. Numbness is a result of thinking that you are alone and that the task is far too great to accomplish, so you lift up your hands and you disconnect. One of my seminary professors makes the argument that doubt is not the opposite of faith, but despair is. And numbness is just the result of despair, feeling like, there's, like nothing can and ever will change. But staying engaged when things are hard, letting yourself feel hurt, sadness, anger, all those things that a leprous heart tries to hide from is an exercise of trust. Admitting that God is sovereign and mysterious, yet loving and good. Trusting that he is not threatened by our laments and fears so we can express them freely. Trusting that we are never alone and that he cares deeply for that which he has created. And trusting that he is at work. In the building of God's kingdom, there are no construction delays or false starts at Orange and White Hall. (laughs) He has assured us that he who makes promises is faithful, 
But he will surely save, and he is renewing all things. And nothing that we are doing can make that not true. And so here we come to point three, the gratitude. (laughs) A thankful heart is the only true response I can have to the way that I've encountered Jesus over the last four years. For the ways I have grown to trust him, even in the midst of things that I cannot change. I get the temptation of the nine lepers who don't return. Um, and who call and who Jesus calls out in verse 17, though. It fits the life of numbness, numbness that they have grown accustomed to because pausing to give thanks or returning to give thanks is hard. Giving thanks means admitting that you had needs that you alone couldn't meet in the first place. It, admit, it means admitting that you required something of others. Giving thanks means actively choosing to feel overstaying numb. And giving thanks for me here means admitting... This line's going to be hard to say. (laughs) Um, Admitting the impact a a people and a place have had on me and how much it sucks to have to say goodbye. Have you ever heard of a TV show called The Office? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, at his last office awards ceremony, a.k.a. the Dundies, the entire office celebrates and honors Michael Scott, regional manager, and his 9,986,000 minutes of work in the office. They have created a song to the tune of Rents, 525,600 minutes, a song that I actually sang in my youth choir, which upon reflection is very weird. (laughs) But I think it might have been our uh, director's attempt at staying hip. I don't really know. (laughs) And yes, the song that they sing is ridiculous as they list off all of Michael's accomplishments, including the time he hit Meredith with his car. But honestly, it is one of the most touching tributes ever written. Has anyone ever been able to watch it without crying? Not me. Um, after the song, the show cuts to an interview with Michael, who laments, Yeah, okay, well, this is going to hurt like a beep. <laughs> I should have coordinated with Nicholas and gotten him to do the sound effect. That would have been kind of fun. <laughs> um, and I never wanted to say this, but Michael Scott is so relatable to me in this moment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> gross. For him, the goodbye is so painful, he lies about his last day of work and tells everyone that it is a day later than it actually is. He is trying to numb. He's trying to hide. And I actually told Matt last week before I was even thinking about the office that I wish I could have treated last week like it was the last large group and not even shown up tonight. So, oh no, I am Michael Scott. (laughs) So yes, I get the temptation to take the healing and to run to what's next. But Jesus celebrates and honors the return of the grateful leper. His gratitude um, is an expression of faith. In verse 19, Jesus equates the man's gratitude with faith. And I think that's incredibly powerful. The man's return in thankfulness has connected him to God's glory and God's promises by giving credit where it is due. And I know I would be remiss if I did not do the same. Over the last three years, when I've asked you what you were most thankful for at the close of your freshman year, um, while looking at this passage in freshman Bible study, your answers have been such gifts. Everything from running on the Greenway to eating dinner in the UC before RUF. Um, The chance to finally make your faith your own. Just having alone time in the car. The ice cream machine in Stokely. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Random roommates that have become your best friend. Um, Finally grasping your need for a savior for the first time. Mistakes that have brought growth. Working at Thrive. Music. Honesty and friendships. Space from your family revealing how sweet they are to you. Zumba and the T-Rex. Um, having a job, feeling like part of a community. Each year, I have had the honor and the privilege of witnessing God provide for you 
and provide for this ministry. My hope has been to encourage you in faith to acknowledge God's role in all of that, to give credit where it is due, admitting that you have a great need for a Savior and a great Savior for your need. So Pam Beasley felt God in a Chili's, and I have felt and witnessed God at work being on this campus and getting to know y'all for four years. Thanks be to God for RUF. Sorry, this also is going to be hard to say. Um, Thanks be to God for the leadership, the grace, and the heart of the Howells. Love y'all. For the friendships of staff. Um, Oh, no, now it's getting hard to read because I'm (laughs) worried. For the experience of the body of Christ at Redeemer, for the beauty of East Tennessee Mountains, and for the joy and privilege it has been to be with y'all in laughter and dance parties, in moments when the gospel is beautiful and clear, in questions and heartache and celebrations, and in moments where we had to admit together that there were hard things that we could not change. In leaving, I find myself weaker and more limited, but more trusting, more honest, and fuller than I was when I arrived. And for that, I'm incredibly, incredibly thankful. There are just so many feelings in saying goodbye to this place that I love. Even that stupid stairwell that is the actual armpit of A and B. (laughs) This is a place that I came to invest in, a place that knows me, challenges me, loves me, and ceaselessly reminds me of what is true. And I'm so thankful to God for that. So my hope and my prayer for all of us is that we stop and take time to reflect on this year. Freshmen full of newness and desperately in need of a full night's sleep. Sophomores just thankful to have made it out alive. Juniors already in a panic about the S word. And by S word, I mean seniors. And seniors also saying goodbye to a place you love. I'm not even going to look over there at y'all. My hope and my prayer is that God would be gracious to heal and cleanse our numb and leprous hearts. That in light of his promises and love, we might allow ourselves to admit our brokenness. To feel the messiness of transition, it's about a hundred feelings at once. And give thanks to him who is faithful to meet us and heal us, even when all we can muster is a far-off cry for mercy. So, amen. Thanks be to God. Love y'all. Thank you.